Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no home, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to the first episode of a second year of Scared to Death, Creeps and Peepers. Yeek. Yeek, I'm Dan. Hi, Dan. It's me, Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Uh, we have a GTFO, get the fuck out fanny pack now in the store at badmagicmerch.com. We, sh- we sure do. Because <laughs> uh, why not? Maybe you love supposedly true horror and you like having extra storage on your person. Maybe you like Lindsay. You want to bring some extra sage and some crystals with you wherever you go. I mean, that's really what it's for. It's a GTFO mm-hmm. kit. You sure. Know, you could like build it up. Holy water. Put it on your person. Mm-hmm. Be safe everywhere you go forever. Throw your EVP in there. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Because you, you don't want to like bring it on. Oh, okay. You're just pushing okay. it away. Well, you don't know. You're, I do you're, know. I you're do a know. peeper. Maybe creeps want to bring it on. All right, weirdos. Uh, also, starting year two, nice little reminder for what this show is about. Uh-huh. We haven't done that in a while. Yeah. Uh, What's it about? What do we do here? Do Do I think that every story I tell uh, happened as it's you know as it was told? No, not necessarily. Maybe you do. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, but I also wouldn't bet my life on any one of these stories not being true. Mm-hmm. Right. This This show is not about scientific, you know, empirically proven fact. It's about the world of maybe. Right, it's about scary and and uh, and or unnerving possibilities of the paranormal, you know, being true. It's about the suspension of disbelief mm-hmm. and having fun, just kind of letting yourself get spooked by the possibility of you know someone or or several someone's encountering something from a world beyond or adjacent to this one. And if they encountered it, the scary part is you might encounter it too. Yeah, you feel like you've encountered it. I, oh no, I have a question. Oh, okay, yeah. Is it also a good place to get spooked? It is a. Good question, uh, student Lindsay. It is a good place to get spooked. Thank you, teacher. Dan. <laughs> so yeah, so let yourself get spooked. Let yourself get scared. So have fun. Stupid. Yeah, have fun with it. But it, but that also is what the show is about. It's about exactly. Getting silly, having fun. Not about like I don't know. Nah, yeah. that takes all the fun right it out of ta- it. It sucks all the fun out of it. It's it's a show for creeps. That's a little terminology. People who just can't get enough of horror. People who can handle all the horror you can dish at them. And peepers, people who have more of like a love-hate relationship with horror. That's me. Right? Hate being scared, but just keep coming back for more. Because it's kind of fun. Mm -hmm. It's kind of fun to get scared. And it's a show for you, uh, you know, where you can learn to how not to be a Darren. Mm -hmm. Right? The person who, for reasons not quite clear, just refuses after one threatening encounter, after encounter, after encounter, just not to get the fuck out. Right. They just won't leave it alone. No, they they can't help themselves. So did I I miss anything? I think that's kind of all of it, right? Spoopy, <laughs> Darren, Creeps, mm-hmm. Peeps. It's about it's you're about, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Mm-hmm, it's about your socks. Oh yeah, which, I can't, which you can't. Uh, Lindsay's her, uh, in pain. She's going through the medical process of figuring out maybe some surgery for her hips, eek. and so she can't. Uh, her, her, her 
her body's a little messed up today. She can't show off the socks, but she's wearing them. Oh, I'm wearing such wearing pr- good ones. Fuzzy protection socks. They're like pink and they have the um the evil eye on them and mm-hmm. they say look within. I mean, I'm looking at them and they are so cute. <laughs> they are I've seen them too. They are Thank cute. You. Uh back to two shows today for me after the big anniversary show last week. Do you mean two stories? Oh, two st- I do mean two stories, not shows. Because we're not doing two shows. I'm no, not two prepared. stories. Okay, two great. stories. But I still have three this week because mine are... Little ones. Mm-hmm. A little action-packed. How does that sound in your ear? Uh, a little maybe, rough. Maybe don't do that again. <laughs> still learning. <laughs> still learning. Still, yeah, always learning. Um, <laughs> Sorry, guys. I have different types of stories today, which is a little change of pace episode, which I'm really excited about. I'm really curious how our creeps and peepers are going to like these stories. Uh, the first story is another one of those, where the hell did they go? Mysterious disappearance tales. Yeek. Actually, two people vanishing without a trace in the first story. Ambrose Bierce and Charlie Ashmore and their disappearances may be related. Disappearances are particularly This is a really interesting one. Uh, My second story is about a topic I don't recall covering here yet on Scared to Death, hypnosis. I don't think so. You know, what could a malevolent hypnotist do to you if they got inside your mind? I'm laughing because last night we were watching Community with the kids. Yeah. And it the it was like a maybe season two, season three, Claymation. Mm-hmm. But uh, John Oliver's character does hypnosis on oh, yeah. Abed. And right. I just like immediately was thinking about how stupid that was. Well, this is, this is not going to be a comedic hi- hypnosis tale. Think. This is going to be something new to be afraid of. Fine. I'm afraid of everything all the time anyways. <laughs> Are you ready for today's first spooky tale? Yeah, I am ready. Bring right. it on. Decent amount of setup. Uh, we've covered several strange disappearances here on Scared to Death before. You know, people who vanish without a trace, leaving stunned family members and lots of potentially unanswerable questions in their wake. Okay. Were they murdered? Did they simply succumb to the elements? Or is there some supernatural, some otherworldly explanation as to why no one has ever found a trace of them? If they're still alive, why haven't they revealed themselves? Are they unable to? Are they now only kind of alive, alive, but somewhere else? In today's story, we're looking into not just one odd and unnerving disappearance, but two that may be connected. The 71-year-old Ambrose Bierce, Bierce, I always want to say Pierce, Bierce is an odd name to me, uh, had lived a long and fascinating life. He was a true Renaissance man who made quite a name for himself during one of the most tumultuous periods of American history. Ambrose was born in a log cabin at Horse Cave Creek in rural southeastern Ohio's Meigs County on June 24th, 1842. I'm from Ohio. (laughs) You are. He was of entirely English ancestry. All of his ancestors had come to North America between 1620 and 1640 as part of the Great Puritan Migration, but their values did not rub off on Ambrose, who would later write sarcastically about Puritan values and people who made a fuss about genealogy. He was the 10th of 13 children. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm, all of whom were given names by their father beginning with the letter A. Oh. <laughs> yeah. In order of birth, the Beer siblings were Abigail, Amelia, Anne, Addison, Aurelius, Augustus, Almeida, Andrew, Albert, Ambrose, Arthur, Adelia, and Aurelia. Wow. (laughs) His parents, Marcus and Laura, surprised their names weren't Alexander and Ariana, uh, were a poor but literary couple who loved books and writing. This love rubbed off on Ambrose. And by 15, he'd left home to become a printer's apprentice at a small abolitionist newspaper called the Northern Indiana. Cool. Mm -hmm. At the start of the Civil War, when Ambrose was 23, he enlisted in the Union Army's 9th Indiana Infantry, fought in several major battles, including the Battle of Philippi, where his bravery was written about in several newspapers, after he carried out a daring rescue of a badly wounded soldier at the Battle of Rich Mountain. He'd later write about his wartime experiences extensively in his memoirs. 
A year after the close of the Civil War, Ambrose's military career resumed in mid-1866, where he joined General Hazen as part of an expedition to inspect various military outposts across the Great Plains. By the end of the year, he'd arrive in San Francisco, where he'd quickly become famous for his contributions to local newspapers. Ambrose wrote all kinds of stuff, short stories, reviews, poems, articles, even reported on crime and agriculture and foreign affairs. For the next 20 years, he'd make his name as one of America's most influential journalists. He'd earn the nickname Bitter Bierce for his sarcastic, biting wit. And he also had a morbid preoccupation with death. At 16, he had a dream in which God and mankind had died and he saw his own decomposing corpse. He'd later use this image in a short story. In fact, his stories often hinged on bizarre deaths. One of his tales began with the line, Early one June morning in 1872, I murdered my father. Yikes. An act which made a deep impression on me at the time. Ambrose was obsessed with strange deaths and disappearances. And at the age of 71, he was still writing, working on a book about strange disappearances. A true creep, he became obsessed with the disappearance of Charlie Ashmore, a man who'd vanished from Quincy, Illinois. Time now for the tale of the vanishing of Charlie Ashmore and Ambrose Bierce. One cold November night in 1878, 16-year-old Charlie had left his home to go fetch water from a nearby well, and he never returned. His father and sister quickly went looking for him with a lantern. Thanks to the thin layer of freshly fallen snow on the ground, they were able to follow his clearly marked footprints. They followed him halfway to the well when his trail suddenly and strangely went cold. The footprints stopped entirely without a sign of struggle, jumping, or sliding There was a long string of solid, easy-to-follow tracks, and then nothing. It was as if he'd been suddenly whisked up into the air and deposited God knows where. His father and sister hurried to the well to see if, despite the absence of his tracks, he'd made it to the well and somehow fallen in. What they found made his disappearance that much more confusing. The water at the top of the well was covered in solid ice, ice so solid it had to have been there for several hours, at least long before Charlie left to visit the well. So what had happened to Charlie? His father and sister returned home, dumbfounded by his disappearance. Charlie's mother, refusing to accept that her son had simply disappeared, he paced, she paced back and forth from the house to the well, looking for clues that were nowhere to be found. She explored this area for days. So sad. Finally, on her fourth day of searching, she claimed to hear Charlie's voice coming to her from several different locations at once. Uh-uh. She had a hard time explaining what she'd experienced. She said it seemed like Charlie was calling for her from everywhere around her, shouting, Mother! Mother! And she shouted back, Charlie, where are you? Tell us how to get to you. But she never got a reply. Despite returning frequently to the place where she'd heard his voice, she never heard it again, well, at least not as clearly as that first time. For months and months after Charlie's disappearance, family and neighbors would claim to hear Charlie's voice. But it always sounded like it was coming from further and further away. Over time, his calls grew fainter and fainter, and his voice seemed to come from a greater and greater distance. A newspaper reported that the voice seemed, quote, to come from a great distance, faintly, yet with the entire distinctness of articulation. Yet none could determine its direction nor repeat its words. The intervals of silence grew longer and longer, the voice fainter and farther, and by midsummer it was heard no more. Where was he? Was he trapped somewhere? Ambrose Spears began to wonder if Charlie was trapped in some type of parallel dimension, some kind of world right next to or somehow otherwise just beyond this one. He theorized that people could fall into holes that would lead them into different dimensions. 
And this wasn't some concept that Ambrose came up with by himself. Many others had also wondered if this was possible. Ambrose was particularly attracted to the theories of German researcher Dr. Hern Leipzig, who speculated that there were certain holes in our reality through which animate, animate and inanimate objects may fall into the invisible world and be seen and heard no more. What? This invisible world was postulated to be some sort of plane of existential limbo, where one could both cease to exist, yet still also exist at the same time, where one could be completely invisible to the world around them and unable to interact with it in any meaningful way. Beers concluded that these holes, these vacuums, whatever they were, were one of the causes of cases where people simply spontaneously disappeared into thin air, writing, but let us suppose that cavities exist in this otherwise universal medium, as caverns exist on the earth, or cells in Swiss cheese. In such a cavity, there would be absolutely nothing. It would be such a vacuum as cannot be artificially produced, for if we pump the air from a receiver there remains the luminiferous ether. Through one of these cavities, light could not pass, for there would be nothing to bear it. Sound could not come from it, nothing could be felt in it. It would not have a single one of the conditions necessary to the action of any of our senses. In such a void, nothing whatsoever could occur. A man enclosed in such a closet could neither see nor be seen, neither hear nor be heard, neither feel nor be felt, neither live nor die, for both life and death are processes which can take place only where there is force, and in empty space no force could exist. Sounds like a true hell. One where you could never fully live, you're never fully alive, but you can also never die, forever unable to find rest and peace. Sounds awful. And then while obsessed with Charlie's vanishing shortly after musing about these voids, Ambro himself would also disappear without a trace. In October of 1913, Beer, 71, departed from Washington, D.C. for a tour of his old Civil War battlefields. By December, he'd passed through Louisiana and Texas, traveling by way of El Paso into northern Mexico, an area currently in the throes of the Mexican Revolution. On November 6th, he wrote a short letter to his niece, Laura, which concluded, I shall not be here long enough to hear from you, and don't know where I shall be next. Guess it doesn't matter much. Adios, Ambrose. She never heard from him again. He then wrote another letter over a month later on December 26 to a close friend, Blanche Partington. He closed the letter by saying, As to me, I leave here tomorrow for an unknown destination. Strange final words for a man who would then vanish. No one ever heard from Ambrose again after this letter or saw him or found any of his remains or any trace of him whatsoever. In 1919, a close friend of Beers, George F. Weeks, set out on a quest to try and track down what had happened to him. Nothing. He found nothing. There was also an official investigation by U.S. consular officials into the disappearance of an American citizen. Also nothing. Others searched, and just like Charlie Ambrose's family, they could never find Ambrose Bierce. Theories abounded over what may have happened to him. Was he killed by Pancho Villa's men or captured by Huerta's forces? A casualty of the war being fought in the area he was last seen in? A California dentist named Adolf or Adolf Danziger claimed that Villa admitted that he ordered Ambrose's execution after the author said he was leaving to join up with another sectarian leader of the Mexican Revolution, uh, Venestiano Carranza. But historians have found this explanation to be highly unlikely. An American soldier named Tex O'Reilly later advanced the theory that Beers was killed by Mexican federal fighters while drinking at a cantina in a mining camp called Sierra Mojada. Some scholars believe he was killed in the siege of Oinaga in January of 1914. Others speculate that Beers' final letters were a ruse and that he never actually went to Mexico, but instead committed suicide. 
And there are more theories, and they all have one thing in common. Zero evidence that they're correct. Nothing has ever been recovered, not a scrap of clothing, not a notebook, of which he had many or any human remains. Was Ambrose right about those strange portals? Is he trapped between life and death? Not long before he disappeared, Ambrose wrote in one of his notebooks, Death is not the end. There remains litigation over the estate. What exactly did he mean by that? Did he figure out a way to access some other dimension? Is Ambrose today just a dusty pile of unfound bones buried somewhere in Mexico? Or could he still be? Is he in a realm just slightly adjacent to ours along with Charlie Ashmore? And if so, how many others are with them? <sighs> right? A little unnerving story. I just don't like the idea that there's some sort of weird otherworld black hole that I could possibly fall into. That was never something I uh, thought of as a possibility. That, now you have it. So now I have more things to be worried about. <laughs> more <laughs> crystals they need to get to protect myself. Here's a uh, a picture of Ambrose Bierce, if you're curious. He's very cute. Hmm? He's a handsome guy. He's a handsome guy. He was. He was. Uh, brave guy, interesting guy, brilliant yep. writer. Yep. I mean, yeah, satirist, like a uh, very, very smart guy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, very prolific with his writing. Um, this is just this next picture is something I found. It's not, you know, tied to the story, but I just thought of, it made me think of this story, like footsteps in the snow that just vanish. Just how odd that would be I if know. you came across that. If you're looking for somebody, you know where they walk. I mean, I, that that really gives me the chills where you're just walking through the snow, which I've, you know, we live in a snowy area. Sure. Done a million times before. Tracks are so obvious. Mm -hmm. And to have them just, you know, oh, move yeah. on and then they're just gone. We're just. Whoop. Yep. That does not make any sense at all. Aliens. Maybe. Yeah. So many possibilities. You know how I feel about that. Mm hmm. Uh, this next little gift may not explain these two disappearances, but uh, this is an example of a dad making his son's nose disappear. Uh huh. Son does not care for it. Uh, hilarious. And maybe if we can figure out how the dad did that, we can figure out how these guys disappeared. Do you think that I can just like? It's be related. It's related. Take it. I don't know. This guy could. This guy has the magic nose trick figured out. <laughs> gift is. I just love how the son gets so upset. And kids are so funny that way. I know that there's like there's like a small window when you can do the nose trick on a kid and really have them get upset. And, yeah. And I remember uh, Ellie, my niece, just oh, like yeah. give it back. Like she, <laughs> she thought I'd genuinely taken her nose. She's a funny kid. Uh, and, and you can find these pictures, the gifts, uh, by the way, at the um, at time or at. Oh my God. You're on the wrong podcast. I'm on the wrong podcast. Uh, scared to Death's Instagram and Facebook is what there I wanted to say. Go. At Scared to Death Podcast. Oh, now you geez. have it. But but since you said mm -hmm. um, time suck, just when you were talking about uh, the like the mom could hear mm -hmm. her son calling out mother. Uh, yeah. Can, oh, did can, you think of mother? Yep. You thought of Ed Camper? I just thought you needed to do that once for all of our time suck listeners. Who <laughs> mother, come where? Mother, come find me, mother. What if, what if that's what she heard? Oh, man. For the people who don't listen to Time Suck, that, <laughs> that was a, be so weird. a weird reference to Time Suck, a weird Ed Kemper voice. If you're like, what is happening? Yeah, so that story, mm -hmm. I mean, was there like a, I mean, in modern times, we would have like a missing mm -hmm. persons report or there would be, you know, some very thorough investigation. But as you tell it, there's no talk of like the police looking for him or. Oh, with Charlie? Yeah. Uh, with Ambrose, there was because of where he disappeared well, yeah, you know, Ambrose, down in Mexico. No, but, with but Charlie, Charlie Ashmore. Uh, you know, it. It did. There was there was no nothing written in what I found that said that that didn't happen. Yeah. And I will say that back then at that time, we, we didn't have law enforcement and didn't have right. uh, missing person cases like we did now. Right. When people vanished, it was just like, ah, oh, sorry. 
which is so crazy. I mean, you got your friends and neighbors to help look for him, but there wasn't like a big F- I mean, the FBI didn't exist. There wasn't sure. like a big search party, uh, know. Like, you know, official one. It, absolutely. And that's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, it's just so weird to mm-hmm. think that all these people heard this voice mm-hmm. and how did they made not the papers made the local papers right i'm like but did you all really go looking for him because in my mind i had some really unfortunate thoughts about like was there a cave anywhere nearby was there like a local right. pedophile or somebody oh who would God. have like abducted him yeah. and he was truly calling out but then the pedophile yeah. was slowly moving him away from his family from like one hidden location to the next to the next to you'd, the next you'd think the footsteps uh, yeah, I, 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 I had that thought too. But you would think if there was like a struggle that way, then there would there would be the row of footsteps that would lead to signs of a struggle with another person's footsteps, and then you know something like that. Or or if there was a, a cavern, you would think that they they would just have to search for the cavern at the location where the footsteps stopped. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There would be signs of him sliding in somewhere or something. Yeah. But yes, I had the same terrible thought of like, oh my god, what if he is like in some cavern, right. yelling out, and they just can't find him. Ugh. But but but. If that was true, when he first talked to his mom, why not say, "I'm in a cave"? Right, I'm over here. I'm over here. Right, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I know. He didn't. He didn't do that. <sighs> I know, which is very. Does it doesn't bode well for him? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then also with beers, I just yeah. thought like it's so interesting how preoccupied with death he was. Mm-hmm. To me, that feels that lends itself to either suicide yeah. or that he unintentionally killed himself, that he was mm. so preoccupied with death that maybe he was a little bit of like an adrenaline junkie or maybe did something. Maybe he was executed by like Mexican soldiers or something, like put himself in a precarious situation. Yeah, he just tempted fate too. a little bit. And he did suffer from some, like he never recovered fully from some injuries he suffered in the Civil War. So mm-hmm. year, decades later, he still had like head pain mm-hmm. and different, you know, like, and actually um, he, he had, so, so they think, a little bit of brain damage. It didn't affect his oh, wit yeah stuff yeah but it just affected his health and that you know uh later in life maybe he was sick of the pain yes there could be that argument but still odd that he would just vanish so completely and especially when you connect it to his final thoughts Uh where his brain was at the end and his obsession with charlie at the end Mm -hmm. it could just be a weird coincidence but very very odd very odd coincidence especially since if he did kill himself Mm -hmm. how do you prepare to commit suicide and plan to have your body never be found. Correct. Like that's such a specific. Yeah, correct. That, kind that's, of death. Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. Like, like yeah, that angle that he never left DC and that he wrote wrote the letters is to to fake people out. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. Just feels a little little peculiar. Well, this next story is a weird one too, and this is weirder. This is I'm I'm really excited to tell this next story. Okay. Uh, <laughs> are you ready for some hypnosis scares? I mean, I don't. You ask me that every week, and every week it's sort of like, listen, I'm here. I have, I just have to take it. <laughs> it's not like one week I'm just going to rip my headphones off and walk out. So, yeah, I guess I'm ready. Before moving on, we do need to take a quick in-between story sponsor break. What is the most basic gift you have ever given the moms in your life for Mother's Day? Flowers? A candle? Some random knickknack you picked up at the last minute because you completely spaced Mother's Day? I have definitely made the mistake of procrastinating gifts for Mother's Day. And then, like the Friday before, I run to whatever store is open and convince myself that, yes, yes, my mom does need another coffee mug that declares she's the world's best. So lame. This year, how about one-upping yourself by giving the moms in your life an Aura picture frame? Named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to any mom at any age. 
Aura Frames connect easily to Wi-Fi and have unlimited storage so you can share as many pictures as you want. This year, as many of you know, I am on a spending freeze, but one of my carve-outs was meaningful gifts for the people I love. I don't want to give all of the moms in our lives something that won't bring them joy. We are giving Aura Frames to the moms in our world because they are timeless, heartwarming gifts. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code SCARED at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Scared to Death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Scared to Death. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking, and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thanks for listening. Creeps and peepers. This next story, quite a bit of setup. Uh, need to explain a bit about hypnosis before going into detail of someone having an encounter with the wrong hypnosis, okay. uh, hypnotist. Good. Cause I've never been hypnotized. Me either. I don't know much. Would you ever agree to be hypnotized? Maybe if I was like trying to quit smoking mm. or kind of like get through a thing. But when you, when, um, you know, sometimes you're at like a, a fair or, you know, um, some like live game show and they're like, yeah, sure. we're going to, I'm like, no, thank you. I don't want to embarrass myself in front of everyone. Yeah. yeah I, I have zero interest in hypnosis. I'm aware that my fear may not be remotely rational, but the concept of hypnosis always has freaked me out. I currently have no interest in letting anyone poke around in the dark corners of my unconscious mind. Yeah. 
Uh, here's how hypnosis works. Kind of, it's uh, it's often represented in movies and television as a, you know, uh, there's a man waving an old ornate, you know, pocket watch in front of your face, chanting something like "You're getting very sleepy." Mm-hmm. Generally, not that theatrical. A uh, trained hypnotist can put you under basically to, by just getting you to be able to really, really relax. It's a process not unlike meditation. No swinging pocket watch needed. And then what happens to your brain after that, and this is what kind of bothers me by hypnosis, no one seems to fully understand. Why? Well, people have theorized that they just, the mind is still mysterious. As much as you know, science knows about it, there's so much unknown. People have theorized that the part of your brain that processes information essentially critically, uh, or critically essentially goes to sleep, leaving the rest of your body awake in a twilight daydream-esque state. Likely that um, even if you've never gone to a hypnotist, you may have experienced some type of hypnotic state. Uh, like, have you ever been driving and then suddenly realize that you just don't recall the last five miles? No. I have. You I, have? Yeah, I've done that many times. Well, that's not safe. This feeling is often the result of your brain entering a type of hypnotic state. In this mild version, no one's given you any suggestions or trying to train or untrain any of your behavior. And that's the part that freaks me out about hypnosis. Being especially open to suggestions. I'm guessing that is what most people fear most about hypnosis. Sure. A fear of, could the hypnotist get me to do something I don't consciously want to do? Okay. Something I would never consciously do. A lot of scholarly articles I've read on the subject say this fear is not based on anything rational, that it's not uh, possible to get you to do something you're morally opposed to do while hypnotized, but a lot of anecdotal evidence says otherwise. Mm -hmm. And even after the story, I'm going to share some pictures uh, that relate to some naughty hypnotists. Oh. Uh, sure, a good trained hypnotist or hypnotherapist would never try to manipulate you into doing something you don't want to do, but hypnotism not always carried out by a good trained hypnotist. What if you were able or what if you got hypnotized by someone who doesn't have your best interests in mind? And even when someone does have the best intentions, do they always really know what they're doing, what they're messing around with? With how little we know about the human brain and how murky our own desires can be, we don't even always know uh, what our desires are. We hide things from ourselves. Do we really want anyone meddling with our unconscious mind? Do we truly know what the risks are? What could happen? Who we could become when we wake back up? In 1897, a young woman named Mary Whitman claimed to have been nefariously hypnotized, and she ended up going to the police, and her hypnotist ended up getting arrested. She claimed that a man hypnotized her, then married her, and that she didn't know what she was doing. The man, B.M. Maine, was a professional hypnotist, palmist, phrenologist, a con man, essentially, who'd been traveling around and made a stop at a town in New York. While there, he stayed at a boarding house that was owned by Mary's older sister, and within just a few days, B.M. Maine married the young Mary, even though she was engaged to be married to another man. When questioned, Mary stated that she had no memory of the wedding or anything that followed it that night. She claimed that she was very much in love with the man she was engaged to and that she was scared of the hypnotist. Her family confirmed that Mary never wanted to be in the same room as B.M. Maine, that she found him to be exceedingly creepy, and that she did everything she could to avoid him. B.M. Maine was arrested over the incident and the marriage annulled. For the rest of her life, Mary would wonder what happened that night. How had he gained control of her mind? Mm-hmm. And the story of Mary Whitman, not the only historical hypnotic horror tale. In the early 20th century, a young Hungarian woman named Ilma Sandor, uh, Zandor was prone to hysterics and seeking some relief from her troubles led her to being a sort of hypnosis human guinea pig. Okay. A doctor discovered that she was extremely sensitive to hypnotic suggestion. And when the word of this spread to others in the international medical community, doctors began traveling from far and wide to put her under. She became the subject of all sorts of strange experiments. A variety of hypnotists suggested this and that, and her mental stability seemed to erode a bit with each session. 
One hypnotic experiment involved a pair of scissors. Uh After she was put into a hypnotic state, a doctor told her that the scissors were red hot. Then this doctor laid these scissors across her arm and she suddenly began to scream out, appeared to be suffering uh, from excruciating pain. The scissors were, of course, not actually hot, but Ilma was so convinced they were that a row of blisters broke out on her arm. What? These strange blisters took months to heal. Eventually, unlike her mind, they did heal. Poor Ilma, her brain possibly scrambled from far too many hypnotic sessions, became too unstable to function in normal society, lived the rest of her life as a recluse who had to be psychiatrically cared for. Oh, my gosh. Now for one last story of hypnosis gone really wrong. A recent supposedly true story posted to the gigantic communal virtual campfire of the Internet. Time now for the tale of the black door in Chase's mind. Chase, last name removed was a young man living in the Midwest who was sure that he was immune to the effects of hypnotism. He was not. One summer night at a county fair, Chase stood and waited along with many others in the small crowd for a hypnotist to come on stage. He'd grown bored of the same old fair events, the animals, the baking contest, the crafts, and he and his girlfriend Anna were about to leave. They were looking for a place to sit down, have a beer before heading home, when they found a small tent with a sign outside that said, Hypnotist Show, 2.30. Since it was already 2.15, they decided to stay and watch before heading home. Right on time, a man came on stage. He didn't look like Chase thought he would. He expected some kind of magician-type outfit. Someone in a dark suit, maybe even someone wearing a silly cape of some sort. This guy wore khakis and a button-down. He looked more like someone watching a show than putting one on. He invited a few people to come on stage with him, and before he knew it, Chase was one of these people. He headed to the stage with the five or six others who'd been standing near him. And he wasn't worried about being hypnotized. He was worried about pissing off the hypnotist because he just didn't think it would work on him. Soon, calming music began to play over the speakers. Then the hypnotist spoke softly, saying things like, Imagine you're on a cloud, as relaxed as you've ever been. And when I count to three, you'll you'll sink deeper into the cloud and be ten times more relaxed than you are now. Suddenly, Chase felt like he was in some sort of trance. Freaked him out. He realized slowly that he had no idea how long he'd been on stage. Five minutes? Ten? Was he hypnotized? He couldn't tell. He was still aware of his own body. He could still see the crowd below him. Did that mean it wasn't working? He felt very confused. He then noticed the hypnotist ask a woman on stage with him to step forward, and he told her, You're in a band. Imagine you're playing an instrument. Play as loudly as you can. And she promptly began to play an invisible trombone. That's hilarious. Chase would have chuckled himself if he'd been able to. The hypnotist led other volunteers through similar exercises, asking them to do things like pretend to walk like a dog, crawl like a baby. They all seemed to play along. And then Chase played along when it was his turn. What number comes after seven? The hypnotist asked. Chase answered, eight. The hypnotist then instructed him to forget the number eight entirely. Let it pass right through his mind. When he asked Chase to add five and three, Chase fumbled for a minute and then said, "I I I don't know. Count on your fingers, the hypnotist suggested, and each time that Chase tried, he came up with nine. And then the hypnotist walked around him and the other volunteers, either patting them on the shoulder or looking them in the eyes, and Chase realized with a flicker of panic, this wasn't the demonstration. The hypnotist had just been relaxing them. The real hypnotism was still to come. Now the hypnotist began to speak in a slow, soothing voice again, but Chase couldn't make out what he was saying this time. It sounded as though he were speaking backwards. Everyone in the audience was nodding along, so Chase assumed the hypnotist was speaking English and something about the state Chase was in just didn't allow him to understand. Then his eyes closed, and the next thing he knew, the show was over and the tent was empty. A few stragglers stood outside. 
In a daze, Chase stumbled down from the stage and walked outside where he found Anna. Do you see that? He asked her. What happened? I must have zoned out. Anna shrugged. The hypnosis show? Yeah, some of the people on stage did some pretty silly things. At one point, someone river danced, pretended to be a lion, that sort of thing. You didn't do anything, though. She smiled, running a hand through her curly red hair. The hypnotist was probably pissed. Chase was so confused. Didn't she see what he had done with the numbers? Had she been hypnotized as well? Did he hypnotize everyone? And if he did, what did he do to them when no one was there to watch him? Chase and his girlfriend went home and tried to forget all about it. Just a silly show at the fair. And he really didn't feel any different that night. The next morning he went to work. He stacked supplies for a big box store. Not a really mentally taxing job, at least it didn't used to be. Now in the warehouse, he just couldn't seem to figure out how many boxes he was putting on the dolly. He kept stacking and restacking the boxes. Each time he counted them, he came up with the wrong number. How? He wasn't adding any extra boxes to the stack. The coworker he was paired with that day, Victoria, asked him if he was feeling all right. Then she said, let me do it. We've got eight boxes going to produce, right? As soon as she said it, the number flew out of his head and Chase just stared at her blankly. After giving him a funny look, she told him that they had the right amount of boxes and off Chase went. He tried to disguise his growing panic for the rest of the day. He kept struggling with even the simplest of tasks. What had the hypnotist done to his brain? When he got home that day, Anna was watching TV and he hesitated at the door, wondering if he should tell her about his problems at work. Yes, tell her. What would he tell her? I think I got hypnotized for real. I think that guy, what was his name? He couldn't remember his name. I I think that guy did something to my brain. It sounded so crazy. He decided to talk to her about the hypnotist anyway, despite sounding crazy. And then she said, what are you talking about? We didn't see a hypnotist last night. What? Chase's stomach sank. Was he losing his mind? He said, sure we did. At the fair. And she said, what are you talking about? We didn't go to any fair. What fair? What? Chase felt sick. Did they go anywhere the night before? He, he knew they did, but he could tell that Anna wasn't joking. How could she not remember? He tried to play off his question saying, wow, wow, that dream was so real. That's crazy. I totally thought we went to the fair yesterday afternoon. Damn, now, now I can't remember what we did do. What did we do yesterday? Anna started to say something, then stopped herself. She suddenly looked confused. He could tell she had no idea what they'd done the day before. Oh my gosh. Then, sounding like she was desperately trying to convince herself it was true, she said in a tone that sounded more like a question than a statement, we, we stayed home. We, we stayed home. We watched TV. Yeah, said Chase. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, we, no, we stayed home and watched some TV. That night, Chase and Anna really did watch some TV in silence. Anna wondered why she couldn't actually remember what they'd done the day before. Chase wondered what the hypnotist had done to them both. Making things even more concerning, the fair was over and Chase couldn't find any information regarding who the hypnotist was online. Oh boy. He went to bed hoping he'd just wake up and have everything feel normal again the next day when he awoke. The next morning, as he got ready for work, he got a text from someone named Anna. You look so tired. I didn't want to wake you up. See you tonight. Love you. Chase frowned. Anna. (gasps) Anna. What? He felt like he must know an Anna, but who was she? And why was she telling him that she loved him? So strange. Back at the warehouse, Chase worked a long shift and then put in overtime when his manager asked him to. He still couldn't figure out how to count past seven to save his life. It was really concerning, but he figured uh, out how to work around it enough to get by for the moment. He started to wonder if he had a brain tumor or something. He didn't worry about the hypnotist anymore. For the moment, he'd completely forgotten he'd seen one. He drove home, picking up some groceries on the way. When he got to his house, he panicked. Who was the woman with the curly red hair standing on his porch? He felt like he should know her, but he didn't. Oh my gosh. He got out of his car and she waved at him. Hey, she called. I thought you'd be home earlier. 
Uh, said Chase, yeah, I had some overtime. If he could play it cool, he decided he could figure out who this person was and what she wanted. Maybe she was mentally ill. She must be. To be safe, he got out his pocket knife from the glove box and shoved it in his pocket. <laughs> oh my god. Next time, tell me, okay? I could have gone out with some friends, but I thought you'd be home, the woman said as Chase walked up the driveway. Chase nodded and she frowned. Are you okay, she asked. You look kind of weird. Fine, Chase said. The hand in his pocket flexed around the knife. Just tired. Sorry to complain, she said. I know you must be exhausted. He nodded and went inside. And the rest of the night, he watched the woman move from room to room, talking on the phone, fixing a snack. He never took his eyes off her. Why was she in his house? What did she want from him? Curiously, he never considered calling the police or demanding for her to get out. It felt like he was dreaming, like his life wasn't fully real or something. That night, as he lay in bed next to the strange woman, a new terror struck him. After trying for a while to fall asleep and failing, he opened his eyes to find another pair of eyes. What? Glowing eyes staring back at him in the dark. He tried to lift his hand, but was paralyzed, completely immobile. And then he heard a low, familiar voice. It sounded sinister. It said, You're more relaxed than you've ever been, Chase. His eyes flew open for real this time. He'd been dreaming, or had he? It felt like he was trapped in a series of dreams, where you wake up from one and then think you're awake, only to realize you're just in another dream. Yeah. Something was very wrong about all of this. Chase went to the living room and opened his laptop. He opened his laptop and pulled up a YouTube video on hypnosis. The title was Undo Previous Hypnosis, and it featured a dark blue background. The reviews behind it were, or beneath it were all raves. Help me 100%. This video is the best. Super calming. Just put this on, go to sleep, and wake up feeling like a brand new person. Chase played the video and settled back on the couch. The music started up slowly, rhythmically, soothing him to sleep. Or was he even awake? Slowly, a voice began to speak, giving soft, reassuring instructions. Dim the lights. Light a few candles. We're going to put you into a soft, meditative state, like you're drifting on a lake in the middle of summer. Your relaxed body makes room for your free mind. The only useful door to your mind is an open one. Lay down with your head under a pillow. Make sure your head is facing up. Rub both of your temples in a slow, circular motion, giving yourself a massage. Work at a slow, steady tempo, around and around and around. Now begin to imagine yourself. See yourself from head to toe. You're comfortable, happy, safe, but viewing yourself from a distance. You are at one end of a very long corridor. There are numerous doors on both sides of this corridor, spanning the entire length. I want you to explore these doors and the rooms behind them. What does the first door look like? What are its doorknobs like? Does it have any imperfections? Chase saw a normal door at first, nothing special, but began to realize it looked like his childhood home's front door. The big brass knocker, scuffs in the red paint where his childhood dog had asked to be let out. Keep exploring each door, moving one by one, the voice said. Only a few guidelines to send you on your journey. If you come to a room full of clocks, leave immediately if you're able. If you choose to explore this room against advice, do not touch the clocks. What? Chase stood before his childhood house's door and looked down the corridor. At the very end was a solid black door. A door that scared him. The voice continued, Not all that takes residence in your mind harbors benevolent feelings towards you. You must on some level know this. A reminder never hurts. It can be good to ask these entities questions, but it also is good to know when to run. If you find something in your pocket, use it. Chase felt around in his pocket. He wasn't wearing pajamas. He'd gone to bed in his work uniform. In his pocket was the knife from the car. Oh. 
Last but not least, follow your gut instinct about the doors, the voice said before adding, Sometimes curiosity really does kill the cat. What the fuck? Chase began to walk down the hallway. His legs were heavy. He was afraid of what was behind the last door, the black door. He passed many doors, doors with deep scratches in the wood, elevator doors, doors with large, ornate keys in the keyholes. He knew whatever the hypnotist had done, yes, he had seen a hypnotist, he was sure of it now. Whatever he'd done was waiting for him behind the last black door. Holding the knife in one hand, he reached for the final doorknob. It was ice cold to the touch. He turned the handle slowly, the door creaking as he barely cracked it open. Standing in front of Chase behind the crack, looking back at him, the door was barely open, was another Chase. Himself, but not himself. And as Chase stared, the Chase looking through the cracked opening held up a watch by its strap and smiled. And this other Chase, this Chase had the eyes, the glowing eyes that had floated above him in bed. This other Chase terrified him. He knew immediately that this other Chase wanted to trade places with him, to put him behind the black door, to wake up where Chase lay on the couch. Chase! Chase! Someone was shouting. He opened his eyes. It was Anna. Anna, his girlfriend. He (sighs) knew she was his girlfriend again. She was leaning over the couch. His laptop was dead. She stared at him, her brow furrowed with concern. Are you okay? I thought you were having a nightmare. Chase pulled her into a big hug, breathing hard. Over her shoulder, he counted eight bananas on the counter. Eight magnets on the fridge. He squeezed his eyes shut and breathed in deeply. (sighs) He remembered everything. It was morning, and he had to get ready for work. As he went about his morning, putting cereal into a bowl, suddenly... The image of a black door cracked just the slightest bit was seen clearly in his mind's eye, and it filled him with dread. He knew with certainty that whatever was behind it, that it would come for him if he ever opened it fully. And then when he snapped out of this daydream, he saw Anna staring at him in a way that sent chills down his spine. It was like she had just figured out who he was. And she wasn't happy about it. Uh Uh-oh. With as much certainty as he knew he did have a girlfriend named Anna, he also now knew that this Anna was not his. (gasps) Did Anna walk down her own long hallway? Did she open her own black door all the way? And was she now stuck somewhere behind it? I need an answer. That's it. That's the end. That's... No! <laughs> Isn't that an unnerving story? I don't like that ending. Did she kill him? Is that bad? Is that naughty Anna? Is that good Anna? Is he just fucking mentally off his God-blessed rocker? <laughs> don't know. I, I, like, I like that it was a different story. It just creeped me out. I don't like that ending! <laughs> oh, I'm really mad about that. Yeah. Does you have to wonder? What, I, I who don't was wa- she? I don't want to wonder. What was really behind the door? Was there a door? Did they even see a hypnotist? Uh, could not find a picture from the beginning of the story of Ilma Sands, uh, Zandor or Mary Whitmore. Um, so I just started finding some hypnotist pictures. Oh boy, this is going to be fun. <laughs> this is this yeah this this first guy is the incredible Boris. He is a comedy hypnotist. What is I a, would never see that guy. What is a comedy hypnotist? Oh, that's a huge thing in, in certain comedy clubs where they have oh, a well, comedy hypnosis show. I'm not going to that. I've never gone. I never will. So what is it? They hypnotize you and then you do funny things? Uh, yeah, that's what I hear. Okay. Uh, this this next one, Martin St. James. Look at how this guy looks. Former Australian he hypnotist. He looks like Zanzibar. <laughs> he does. Yeah, he died in 2015. I would have tried to kill him if this guy tried to hypnotize me. This guy seems like a, an evil hypnotist. I have to tell you something. Yeah. He looks a little bit like me. <laughs> I can look like that guy someday if I dressed up like a hypnotist. Oh, God. I look like a hypnotist. It's just like that particular angle, mm-hmm. the high hairline, mm-hmm. and just like the angle of his nose, oh, small God. lips. 
Uh, this next one. Are you one, trying to tell me something? No, no, I'm not. I didn't even notice that. Now I wish I would have never found his picture. That is amazing. This next one is is Wayne F. Perkins. Why does he terrify me? Well, he looks like a Scientologist. <laughs> <laughs> He does. He does. He's coming for your he's soul. Just, he's master dynetics. He's, um, he's going to, you know, what's that the process that they do? Audit. He's going to audit he's gonna you. audit me. He's That's gonna... a whole new kind of auditing. Um, finally, a truly scary hypnotist. This is Michael Fine, a former Ohio lawyer and hypnotist sent to prison for 12 years in 2016 for hypnotizing, then sexually assaulting six women. <gasps> mm-hmm. uh, police suspect he may have actually assaulted dozens. Oh, my God. And he is one of a variety of dudes I found arrest reports for for the exact same crime, hypnotizing women and then sexually assaulting them. That is so fucked up. And this is what I also, kind of ref- look at those fucking eyes. Mm-hmm. I would never trust someone with eyes like that. And this is what I was referring to earlier in the episode where like, you know, like uh, they say, you know, like more like uh, scholarly articles will say that, you know, you can't do anything that you were uh, morally opposed to. It doesn't work like that. But there are a lot of stories yeah. uh, about women being assaulted after being hypnotized, which does not speak to that. It speaks to you can be convinced to do things you don't want to do when put under, which is what freaks me out about it. And do you, um, sorry, my hip is really bugging me. I'm just going to need a second. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah, just uh, getting a little better seated position there. Uh-huh. You just never know. It's sort of like um, having Tourette's sometimes. Mm-hmm. What I imagine, like all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's like a, a, sh- a shooting pain and then I let out some expletives and it's probably super funny to watch but not funny for me yeah no i feel bad for you um yeah the 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 not being able to control what you do Mm -hmm. if you're hypnotized i mean like if you're thinking about chase he didn't necessarily remember everything Mm -hmm. so i wonder if when these terrible hypnotists are hypnotizing these women they're hoping that they don't remember probably i would assume so and i would strongly assume and how do you file a police report on that because you I'm, I don't know. I didn't dig into it that far. But, Ooh. I mean, it, it went far enough where the, the guy went to prison. And, and other yeah. people have gone to prison for the exact same type of crime. Oh, yeah. I'm just curious how you... Yeah. Well, DNA. But... Yeah. Dang. Well, if I ever thought I would think about being hypnotized, probably not. Not unless... And, and I know that some in, some... in clinical settings, it has done good for people. Usually right. for behavioral things like, uh, like, like you referenced earlier, like stopping smoking. Yeah. Um, but I also know, and this, I don't want to detour the show, but there's also been a lot of bad false memories and things that have come from hypnosis, too. I'm I'm not a fan. I know, but I know that it works for some people for some things. I suppose I don't really know enough about it. Yeah. You know. Because uh, what's that, like, uh, it's like a light therapy? You look, look at a light bar? Is it? I don't know. EFM. I always want to say EDM, which is electronic no, dance yeah. music. But it's like EFM or MFE something, but it's like... You go to a therapist and there's like a light bar and you sort of like follow the light bar like this uh-huh. and it it's supposed to well I mean they don't call it hypnosis but I'm hmm. I'm feeling like that's kind of what it is it's supposed to like put you into a very relaxed state where you can kind of get out of your own way and access some breakthroughs and walk through your black door maybe I'm going to ask one of my girlfriends about it who's done it hmm. cuz now I'm worried about her <laughs> you know what I mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was worried about her anyways Okay, she doesn't listen to this show, so I can say that. <laughs> uh, okay, so I have three stories for you. Okay. Uh, two of the three are anonymous, which is like, oh, okay. Like, you're that worried about your story? I, I get it. I get it. Um, this first story, it's like, is it a warning about okay. something? Like, what? Is it just terrible nightmares? I don't know. Do you have Layla? I got Layla. Um, so, okay, you know, you, 
Does she still smell good? Mm-hmm. You have three Layla's. I only put out two and I hid the third one in the set. Oh, geez. So maybe someone will see it. Okay. A little maybe. Easter egg. Yeah, it might be too dark to find. That's a hidden Layla. Layla number three. <laughs> but I'll, I'll try for a new spot next week. Okay, so here we go. Hello to the king and queen of creepy shit. I was first introduced to Time Suck by a coworker a few months ago, and from there found scared to death. Thank you, coworker. Been listening for uh, been listening a lot for several months now, and I'm definitely a creeper. No one likes to watch horror movies in my house, so I will do it alone at night when my husband is sleeping. Nice, insane. <laughs> I could never. My story happened two decades ago, but still disturbs us to this day. In 1999, my husband, eight-year-old daughter, and one-year-old daughter and I lived in Las Vegas, Nevada for my husband's job. We had been married only two years at this point and never experienced anything supernatural in our lives prior to this point. While I'm a creeper, my husband is barely a peeper. He loves paranormal podcasts, reality shows, aliens and Bigfoot, but never watches horror movies. He's practically hiding under his seat even during Jurassic Park. <laughs> anyway, in 1999, we moved to a, moved into a nice three-bedroom apartment near Nellis Air Force Base with our daughters. It was not a great area, but also not too bad. Our first month in the apartment was uneventful, but things changed and our relationship became strained. At first, it was just a difference in everyone's personalities, but there was always a heaviness in the apartment. Then, my older daughter started having nightmares and did not sleep well, which we attributed to living in Las Vegas and dealing with new sibling. But then, my husband and I started not sleeping well. Our bed was in a corner, so one side was up against the wall and the other was open to the bedroom. Whoever slept on the side of the bed that was towards the open side of the room would wake up terrified throughout the night, have nightmares, and would be exhausted in the morning. One time, I sat up straight from a dead sleep in absolute terror, struggling to breathe and feeling like something had just been standing over me. I do not remember hearing anything that would have woken me, but the room felt very, very heavy. I've mm. never felt terrified like that in my life. We never really talked about it, like we didn't even consider it could be something paranormal until I saw something I couldn't explain. Part of our master bath was open to the bedroom with a big walk-in closet separating the bathroom area from the bedroom area. The door into the bedroom was directly across from the closet. One night, I was standing at the bathroom sink getting ready for bed when I saw a small figure in a white nightgown dash from the closet into the hallway. What? Immediately I thought it was my 1-year-old because she's a very she was very sneaky and knew how to get out of her crib like a true ninja. I looked over to my husband to see if he had noticed, but he was fast asleep. I walked down the hallway to her bedroom, opened the door, and saw that she was deep asleep in her crib. Confused, I went to check on my older daughter only to find her asleep as well. I quickly walked around the apartment, checked all the windows and doors, but found nothing to explain what I had seen, and it's not like we even had any pets. Shortly after this, my husband started having the most vivid nightmares of his entire life. Now, he's a big man, 6'3", 260, ex-military, lifelong martial artist. <laughs> not so much, not, uh, nothing could so much as scare my husband, except for dinosaurs. <laughs> I had never known him to have nightmares, but... Uh, he started waking up screaming, covered in sweat, and completely horrified night after night because of a nightmare. This is exactly what started happening. One night after he had calmed down, I asked him about his dream, and he told me. His dream takes place in a vast wasteland with dead trees, rolling hills, and a dark sky. 
He's on a trail that seems to disappear into the horizon in either direction. He's holding onto our younger daughter in his arms and feeling very nervous. His nervousness quickly turns to fear when he sees a tall figure behind him on top of a hill. The figure is all black, very tall, with long, skinny arms and a large, bulbous head. It starts running towards him faster than it should be possible. My husband immediately knows it's coming for our daughter, and he has to protect her. He's terrified, but more afraid of that thing taking our baby. So he starts running as fast as, fast as he possibly can, screaming at the top of his lungs. This is how he would wake up, screaming, terrified, and covered in sweat. My husband had this dream at least a dozen times while we lived in that apartment. Every time the figure would get closer and closer to him, but no other details ever changed. Until one nightmare, the thing had taken our daughter. My husband was terrified of the creature, but had to get our daughter back. So he chased after our daughter with completely wide open eyes of terror. Every dream after that, until we moved away months later, was my husband chasing the creature that was getting further and further away with our baby in arms. After we moved back to Utah, my husband never had the dream again, and we all slept much better. Stay safe, keep sucking, and forever scaring. Weird. The part that creeped me out the most was that um, I don't know. I don't know why the thing being little. I know creeped me out more. <laughs> that is such. Uh, that has always creeped me out a little bit extra when it's like, and, and for some reason, the little nightgown on the little thing. I know makes it creepier. I know it makes me think of our opening. Uh. We have like the white gown person. What in in the opening of our show oh, in the video? Oh, I, I thought you were talking about like uh, for some reason I was thinking of like our house or something. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking? <laughs> <laughs> what if right now I was like, so yeah, that makes it reminds me of the little person in the nightgown I see all the time at the house. Like, yeah. wait, I'm sorry, what? Is our little friend Susie who lives uh. with us? <laughs> oh my gosh! But honestly, like, what do you think would have happened if they would have stayed? That's where my mind went. Like, it mm-hmm. felt so foreboding. Mm-hmm. That something was going to happen to one of their daughters, whether like an entity was going to attach to the daughter or yes. a, a sudden, you know, hat man. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what's the really tall, skinny guy uh, and Slenderman, like a he, Slenderman type oh, character, like, 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 like some shadowy person, like yeah. looks like that. Yeah, yeah, ye. Okay, now just so you have one less thing to be afraid of, um, Slenderman. I know is not real. Yeah, creepy pasta. But but maybe based on real. There you have it. There you have it. There you have it. And now you're back to being scared. Good. Okay, good. Um, I I thought this story, I mean, it's spooky for sure, but I I just kind of like loved the context of it. Mm -hmm. I worked in bars and restaurants, well, a bar uh, and restaurant when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And for all the times that I was there alone, I never actually like saw anything that was paranormal Mm -hmm. or, you know, nothing ever fell down. But it just, it is so incredibly uncomfortable to be in a building like that all by yourself in the complete darkness. Like yeah, when you're, yeah. if you work in retail, when you're opening up, just anytime you are by yourself, it's, uh, I, I don't know. I, maybe that's why I'm scared in our house. Just being alone is terrifying. Are you okay over there? Did you swallow There's something? so much smoke in the air. I know, oh, yeah. I know a lot of people know. Yeah, he's gonna be okay. But yeah, there is so much smoke in the air. I know like a lot of people in Oregon and California are obviously having it pretty, pretty awful mm-hmm. right now. And we're definitely thinking about you over here in Coeur d'Alene. Well, there's no fires in our 
<coughs> proverbial backyard. There are some pretty close. And on mm-hmm. so we're recording on a Tuesday. On Sunday, our air quality was worse than Portland's. Uh, like it was literally Ooh. off the charts, as I know yeah. Portland's was as well. Or I shouldn't just say Portland, Oregon. And uh, today I, I saw that it's finally come back down to like 290. Jeez, which is still like worse than any uh, notoriously polluted city in the world. Yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, taking its toll on everyone. Um, okay, so this story takes us to a haunted bar in Wales. Which oh, wow. I think, yeah, mm-hmm. I think is a fun new location. And I'm just going to say this now. There are two Welsh words in this story. Yeah. One, I was able to listen to a pronunciation and get the other one. I am not even yeah. going to try. Certain Welsh words, well, it, well it's like the, the Celtic language yeah. and some of that stuff. I've come across that stuff as well. And it's like, wait, what? Yeah, the, the name of the, the city where this takes place is LL. A-N-G-R-A-N-N-O-G. So, like, if I was just guessing, I would have said, like, Lan- Langrenog or something. Mm-hmm. That is not it. That is not it. Lancelot? Sure. Whatever you want I, to I be. would love it if that word was pronounced, pronounced like, um, Smith. <laughs> it was more like, Langrenog. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. All right. So, here we go. <laughs> hey, Dan and Lindsay. Firstly, I'd like to thank you for all of your amazing content. Got hooked on Dan's Time Suck podcast at the beginning of this quarantine and found this soon after. Yes. You're both awesome. Thank, Thank you. you from across the across the pond. And then he says, which is Welsh for thank you. Okay. That one I got. Good job. Thank you. My name is Hugh Evans and my family lives in a remote seaside village in West Wales in the UK. Not saying the name. I already spelled it. The village can trace its roots back to a Celtic fort, which was perched on the nearby cliffs almost 2,000 years ago. It's been home to saints, sailors, many drunkards, merchants, activists, and more recently, many tourists. We are... There are currently two pubs in the village, and though having worked in both, and both are allegedly haunted, it is in the ship which this story takes place. I'd initially worked there for a few years in the kitchen, though never really experienced anything of note. The bar men and bar women would tell of odd experiences that were unexplained. As would a few past residents, stories of people at the end of their bed, old men at the bar who had vanished, and footsteps, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. When I was old enough to work the bar, I took as many shifts as possible and got to know the owners particularly well, who then started giving me more and more responsibilities. After a year or two, I started doing the later shifts by myself when a co-worker wasn't needed and quickly noticed that one of the owners, who lived upstairs in a separate wing of the pub, would never stay around when I locked up. I remember asking the owner himself why he'd always leave as I was closing up. He responded by saying he felt particularly uneasy when he was alone downstairs. I thought nothing of it until late one night in the summertime. It was the end of a busy shift, and it was my co-worker's turn to leave early, which left me to lock up alone. I remember as I was cashing out the till, my eyes were kept being drawn down a corridor, which led down to the game room and to the toilets. The only lights which were on were the ones behind the bar. I'd locked the doors and closed the windows and knew I was the only person left in the main building. I thought I may have forgotten to lock the cellar door or the barrel room or even the windows. So I ventured down there in the dark as all to check that all was locked and shut. It was. No problem. Feeling reassured, I finished my work behind the bar, though something was still drawing my eyes down, the, down this dark corridor. I double-checked the front door once again, then went to turn the lights off behind the bar, leaving me in darkness to walk upstairs, through the restaurant, and out through the kitchen. As I was about to turn the lights off, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up and chills ran down my spine. 
I thought I was being silly. I turned the lights off and began to make my way to the stairs on the other side of the bar. Hairs still up on end, I cursed the amount of noise I made along the old wooden floor until I froze with fear. From the game room, I heard the doors of the gents and ladies' toilets both slam shut. The fact that I'd heard them from so far away meant they were shut with some serious force. Mm -hmm. Then in succession, I heard the cellar door slam, followed by the barrel room, which I knew had been locked. It felt as if something was rushing up from behind me, and I didn't want to stick around to find out if I was just being silly. I legged it upstairs, sprinted Mm -hmm. through the restaurant and the kitchen, so pitch black that I made one hell of a mess, and ran the entire way home which was still an uneasy feeling as there are no streetlights and it's a single lane road covered in trees. A few weeks later, having told my coworker, we were both in the pub alone sharing a beer before heading home. When we both heard the gents' toilet door swing open, then close, followed by footsteps coming down the corridor towards us in the main bar. Neither of us had paid much attention to it as neither of us had checked to see if the gents' bathroom was empty of its usual suspects. Sometimes people have even fallen asleep in there after having a bit too much to drink. We could hear the footsteps getting closer. We could hear the sand on the wooden floor being scraped along, the unmistakable kind of crunching, scratching noise it would make. I expected to see a familiar face pop around the corner as my coworker and I both looked up from our table as the footsteps came to the end of the corridor. But no one came. We stopped mid-conversation, not saying a word. I arose from my chair, took four or five steps to look down the corridor. Mm -hmm. No one there. He didn't believe me. And after a quick search, we both realized it was the only two of us left in the building. Strange noises began happening at my parents' house shortly after this. Things following me upstairs, stopping outside my bedroom door. I could hear the floorboards sink and creak with the weight of something that just wasn't there. I found out later from my father that our family home was built by the same ship captain as the pub I'd been working in, but the room I stayed in in our home hadn't been built at that same time. I realize this is quite a long account, but it's been fairly therapeutic in its telling. Many others have experienced strange things in that building, and this is just one of many accounts. Thank you guys once again. Your content is the best during this quarantine. Apologies. I haven't sent any socks. It's okay, (laughs) Hugh. Okay. That's awesome. You, what a crazy connection to that pub that that where it's like built by the same person as your right. company as your house, and what a weird connection then to like I don't know. That, that, that's that's a very interesting story where like you go there and then you hear the stuff in this am I saying, pub right? Yeah, in yeah, the pub, yeah, yeah. In in the pub, um, I was I don't know why even though I spent time over there I still get confused. I'm like, are all the bars pubs? Do you call? But anyway, and, and then, no one cares. It's okay. No one cares. And then, and then, and then to go back home, and then it just makes me wonder: like, is it some entity that's related to the initial, like when the first people worked in that bar, and right, they right. also live in that house? I don't know. Just yeah, very interesting story. I felt like very much that it was related to the old ship captain who built the pub and right. built their house. And right. if his bedroom was not built at that same time, it would make sense that whatever is haunting like if if it is like that captain let's say yeah. if he's visiting all of the places that he previously built it would make sense that he wouldn't he would go stop yeah and not go into hugh's bedroom because you know yeah i mean that, that yeah that, that's one of those things where like you you wonder about like you know people like like spirits trapped in a moment of time mm-hmm. where if like the spirit is in some plane that is relates to the time that that person was actually alive and that's right? why i don't know I don't know. Okay, Creepy. now this this last story is uh, also anonymous. Okay. Now I 
Wait, you said you said anonymous. Oh, like the first. Okay, the first that, story was anonymous. Yeah, the second one wasn't. Now this one is got also it, it, anonymous. It, yeah. Um, and it's anonymous because it's written from somebody who's active in the military right now. Okay. And so, as you guys know, if you've been listening at all, anytime that we have like a police officer or someone who is, feels like they should be very accredited, it just freaks oh, yeah. me out that much more. You know, right. it's like, and I Where know it's that not in their best interest to to report. Or their yeah, like their job not, makes them very analytical. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. yes. And I know I have gotten your messages. I know that not all of you agree with that, and some of you feel like, yeah, well, police lie on police reports all the time, like blah blah blah. Okay, we could all fucking lie. Yes. I'm just saying that, like, traditionally speaking, mm-hmm. we put a lot of faith into the military or a doctor or a teacher. Like, those are the people that we traditionally think of to be yeah. above making this kind of shit up. Yes. Okay. So, um, yeah, this is this is intense. I think, and it's it's going on right now, which I think also yeah, ongoing. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it is currently happening. So our writer says, "Hey Dan and Lindsay, huge fan. Started on Time Suck and made my way over to Scared to Death." All three people said that today. Oh, I just realized nice. that. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys. I often have scared to death on in the background throughout the week just to get through the days, anxiously waiting for the next episode to drop. Hmm. Thank you. Keep up the creepiness. It really means a lot to some of us. Just to put this into context, I am an active duty Air Force nuclear missile officer. So much smarter than me. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. You get some heavy clearance. Uh-huh. Because of my clearance, I can't really tell you much, but in light of COVID-19, we have been dispatched to missile fields for weeks at a time. Instead of our usual 24 to 48 hour tours, we are away from our homes and loved ones out in the middle of Nebraska, Colorado, or literally the middle of nowhere. Some sites are near abandoned schools, and one is actually right next to an old, creepy children's cemetery. Uh. And as you can imagine, weird shit happens all the time. Looking out, there is there is nothing to see except corn and windmills and the occasional cow. It's incredibly sobering. Anyways, I wouldn't say I'm a skeptic, but I've never really had anything spooky happen to me. That being said, I have the utmost respect for all things spiritual, and I don't test the waters. Part of my job entails going underground sealed off from the world, surrounded by equipment from the 1950s. Hmm. It smells like the 1950s. (laughs) Things creak and groan all of the time. It's a hot, hot mess. These sites have been the only place I've experienced weird stuff. I'm sure a lot more things will happen in the future, but in the last two months, my crew partner and I have been chased by a dog-like creature in the tall grass next to the road as we've driven. I've had cabinet doors not even three feet away from me open on their own. Again, remember, I'm sealed off, so there's no breeze. And uh, and the doors just stop halfway open. Me and my crew partner hear tapping on the walls and on the ceiling, which are Uh. metal, and it echoes and radiates. We tell ourselves it's the humidifier just to get ourselves through our shifts. We have sleeping mods underground surrounded buy lots of communication equipment, and depending on how close you sleep to them, dreams can be incredibly clear and vibrant and scary. Always scary. My crew partner was woken up by the distinct sound of someone screaming, hey, in her ear, but there was no one there. I've sat with the cops who are dispatched with us in the middle of the night, and we've heard little footsteps running down the hall and children giggling. What? Their doors have closed on their own, even when propped open and their window horizontal shade blinds will violently shake and then suddenly stop. 
I always feel watched when taking showers, and weird shadows will move through the halls. The phone lines are all installed through the ground in a web to different sites, and sometimes whispering can be heard when we make phone calls on the phone. Oh, and the phone will randomly ring when no one is at the other end. Being out here for weeks, we really all get to know each other, and sometimes you can tell when someone has experienced something spooky but chooses not to share. The most recent experience that really did me in for a few days involved just me and my crew partner. We, were, we are almost never apart. It's an accountability thing. And we sleep in the same room. I had experienced sleep paralysis for the first time in my life that night and, bef- and was still trying to recover from that before we went to bed. A dark figure in the corner of our room gave me this overwhelming sense of dread an inability to move and time moving so damn slow. It was the whole nine yards. This night, shit would get crazy real quick. I was in and out of sleep, restless. I'm facing the wall, away from my partner and the rest of the room. In my half-awake, half-asleep state, I hear my partner distinctly say, What are you doing down there? (sighs) To which I replied, Down where? Without turning around. There was a brief pause, and she says, Never mind. I thought maybe my crew partner was sleep-talking. Maybe I had dreamt it. The following morning, as it turns out, my partner says that she distinctly heard voices coming from the floor right next to her bed almost for almost 30 minutes, and she thought perhaps I was on the floor talking to someone on the phone or watching something on my laptop mm-hmm. as I had done this before. But when I had responded to the question she asked of what was going on down there, it was clear I was indeed not the source of the voice from the floor. Instead of freaking out as I would have, my partner just went back to sleep. And when I <laughs> stared at my bunkmate incredulously, the reply was a shrug and, eh, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> my partner is definitely my grounding element on these tours. I guess after a while, you just get numb to it all. We are expected to maintain a stern, critical, logical, and professional demeanor. Many of the newer enlisted personnel come to us wanting to hear these kinds of stories, and we are advised against stirring that pot. Since listening to Scared to Death, I have rediscovered my love for crystals, tea, (laughs) nature, and all things bright, light, and good energy. If our tours continue in this manner, I'm definitely going to need all the spiritual help I can get. Thank you so much for everything you do. Stay safe out there. Your biggest Air Force fan. Aw. Can you Yeah, thanks, thanks for your service. And that's crazy. That's a, that, what an interesting experience they're be, having. To be underground. Underground like in these old silos. Bunker. Or whatever these like, things are. Yeah. What? And then you see and hear these things and you can't leave. <laughs> right. There's no GTFO. Right, right. Because there's like severe career repercussions for leaving, I would imagine. Yeah. Like, like possibly a court martial for just like deserting your post and yeah. that type of post. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, you heard sorry. something? <laughs> oh, sorry. The little ghost that lives down there was trying to talk to me. <laughs> Crazy. But that, I mean, I, on so many levels, first of all, I could not be, I could not do this person's job. Yeah. I couldn't be underground. Be like that. I could, oh. Like, I, mean, I guess you're with one person, but still. No, thank you. What if you hate that person? And I, I bet you often do. Right. You know, it's not like you're going down there with your buddy Mm -hmm. to have a few beers and like have Mm -hmm. a little retreat. No cell reception. No, like actually fan. If you're listening, I don't know if it's against the rules, but like, can you take some video? (laughs) Probably against the rules. Probably, probably very, very against the rules to share that video. Maybe. Now, Dan, before we continue on, you know what part of the show it is, right? It's um, birthday time. It's it's shout out time. Shout out time. Now, I didn't do any shout outs last (laughs) week because we had such a... Um, robust episode. Mm-hmm. So the um, 
The shout out list is very long this week. Okay. Okay. Let's let's go. Settle on in. All right. So we're going to start with some happy birthdays. Here we go. Happy birthday to Ethan James from your mom, Katrina, Logan, and Buddy. Happy birthday to Harley from Nick. Happy birthday to Chelsea from Tyler. Also, hail Nimrod Tyler. (laughs) Happy birthday to, oh man, Terriona. Happy birthday to Steven from Trisha. Happy birthday to Bradley from Book from Brooke. It's your 30th birthday. Your 30s are amazing. Welcome to it. Happy birthday to Bethany from Abigail. Happy birthday to Wendy from Ashlyn. Happy birthday to Natalie and Kevin from Leah. Happy birthday to Zach from Desiree. Happy birthday to Phil from Ricky. Happy birthday to Jaden, also known as JJ, from your mom, Tyresha. Okay, those are all the birthdays. Okay. <laughs> okay, I have a congratulations on your very first house, Jimmy and Lakin or Lockin, I'm not sure. Um, congratulations on your nuptials, Larry and Kaylee from Casey and Justin. Uh, sending some love to Angie from your son, Cody. Uh, he said that he recently scared her to death in her car. Great. She was like in the driveway and he had turned her onto the podcast and he didn't know that she was like still listening. So he just went up and like, on the window and she just like lost, <laughs> lost her it. mind awesome, so awesome. he's he's sorry slash he loves you and happy anniversary to tiffany and danny on your one year anniversary happy anniversary to ashley from your buggy bear cute bless happy birthday to danny and kayla two years together happy birthday happy birthday what am i saying happy anniversary to charlie and chloe and happy anniversary to michael and allison I'm shouted uh, out. A lot of happiness. Yay, happy. I know it is kind of nice to it's end nice. like mm-hmm. our potentially mm-hmm. mentally challenging show <laughs> on a good note. And, and thanks to everyone for the continued ratings and reviews. Uh, yeah, we were actually number one on the uh, download chart for uh, on the iTunes like a uh, fiction category download chart, which I don't consider this totally. I mean, obviously fiction, but that's the closest category. Yeah, wait, like storytelling. Have, Dan, you don't have to justify it. It's a, it's exciting no matter it's what. It's exciting. And thank you to our yeah. fans for getting us there. Mm-hmm. That's that's not something that we did. That's what you guys did. Absolutely. And uh, and and thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else at info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan and Kate Keith, the Keith, the Keith on social media and badmagicmerch.com. Merch design uh, for doing all that. Producer Sophie Evans for help with story curation. Joe Paisley and Zach Flannery for producing, directing, custom soundbed creation. And Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. You can subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for more content at Scared to Death Podcast. That's where the pictures are as well. And we have a private Facebook group that has been growing so fast. It's so cool. Uh, Creeps and Peepers, uh, almost 9,000 members now for horror lovers. Yep. And uh, thanks to Liz Hernandez for moderating, cultivating that group, and making it fun for everybody. Enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place... Fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but has no home here within scared to death.